Hi and welcome to the Crime Pod. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Sam. So this week we're going back to a case that is actually up in the kind of highlands and I feel like a lot of people up there still know about it. I wasn't that familiar with it but I think it's also a generation thing as this happened in 2004. So this week I'm going to be talking about the mysterious death of Alistair Wilson. So, Sam, you are familiar with this, did you say? Yes, yep, I know this one. But cool. not, not fully. Like, I know his name and I, I know roughly, but I don't know the ins and outs. Yes, yeah, see, I was kind of familiar with the story, but then there's so much more to it that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. So, Alistair was born in Beef near Ayrshire in Scotland's west coast on the 4th of March 1974 to his parents, Alan and Joan. Now, he was the second child, I think, and he just went to school in the area and was known as being quite a hard-working, sociable guy. Like, nothing about him really stood out. He went to Stirling University and studied accounting and business law. And when he graduated, he actually managed to get a job in the Bank of Scotland branch in Fort William. And he worked there for a while. Um, While he was in Fort William, he met a girl named Veronica, who was a local in the area. And within six weeks, he actually proposed to her. And they got married in 1998, which, like, obviously, back then, that's normal. I'm like, six weeks. But um, Yeah, I'm like, oh, my God, slow down. <laughs> like, when I read that the first time, I was like, oh, it must be a typo. It must be six months. Um, so he worked in the Bank of Scotland headquarters in Edinburgh and in 1999 took a job in the Inverness branch where he and Veronica moved. He had his first child, a baby, in 2000 and another in 2001, and they moved to a house which was on 10 Crescent Road in Nairn, and this house was going to be like their forever kind of home. It was a beautiful big house in quite a nice local area. Um, Like, it's a good area for kids. Like, there was a police station like a mile up the road that's like right opposite like a local pub. Like, it's quite a nice wee area, and they thought they could make a life there and specifically in that house as he actually planned on running a B&B from there which could host nice. roughly like eight people a night so that would do you know what I mean I think that would be quite good I think as far as my way Veronica didn't work so do you know that could be like another business as well as him in the bank and do you know with a pub across the road and in there and like that could be quite successful however after a few months business did begin to fail so Veronica's dad Ronnie actually moved in with them um I don't know also Nairn I actually wasn't that familiar with Nairn so oh, I don't know great for caravan holidays I is had a it great one there yeah I went with Katie when I was nine. Oh, lovely we Good should have time. gone when we done the north coast 500 yeah well you know it's kind of close to um Carbridge is it the place where we went with the shoots and stuff Oh, it's not lovely. too far away from there. Okay, yeah, because I actually I did a bit of research where Nairn was, kind of to set the story more, and it's only 17 miles out of Inverness, and it's like a small, peaceful coastal town which is known for its beautiful beaches and specifically its golf courses, mm-hmm. and its population is roughly 10,000, which I always feel like that sounds like quite a lot of people, but then I live in Edinburgh. Yeah, I was going to say 10,000 sounds like tons, but... But then yeah. the population of Edinburgh... <laughs> 
is 600,000. Like, <laughs> yeah, I actually don't know the population of Edinburgh. Let me. Population of Edinburgh is currently 482,000. Oh, nice. So, as you can imagine. So, in this area, there's actually no serious crime either. Um, it was kind of, you know, there's two known criminal instances in the 21st centuries which in in the 20th century sorry in this place which was two spies were arrested oh wow at some point there was two spies doing some work there and then another one was a drunken murder at a wedding in the 90s so that's the only two like big bits of crime that's happened there so you can kind of imagine this town not much going on so Alistair was still working for Bank of Scotland and he actually wanted a change of career so decided to take up a role in the building research establishment in there. So he left the bank and he generally didn't have any other reason. He had no bad blood. He's worked there since graduating, you know, and now he's married, two kids. I can see why the guy was actually like, right, okay, something different. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So on the 28th of November 2004, Alistair's currently working his notice for his job in the Bank of Scotland and he's at home when roughly at 7.15pm the door went so everyone around each other as I've said they know each other so they're like oh like do you know what I mean it's not going to be someone completely random like it could be here they were actually at the time in the house his wife Veronica his two children and they were babysitting our friend's 18 month old baby now Veronica opened the door and was met by a man who she described to be roughly 30 to 40 years old he was clean shaven and an average height and build. Like there was nothing about him that really specifically stood out, like tattoos or anything. He also wore a baseball hat. When she's obviously like, Hi, how can I help you? All he says is Alistair Wilson. Doesn't say anything else, just those two words. Oh. So Veronica goes to get her husband, thinking it was a bank associate, which could be why he's so direct. Like I think she'd said in the past, like bankers aren't sometimes not the friendliest of people do you know so -hmm. it could have just been like I need to speak to him go and get him thanks so he came down from being with the kids he was actually reading them a bedtime story and she went up the stairs they kind of swapped place and as Veronica was upstairs she could hear them talking quietly in kind of hushed tones and Alistair came back up the stairs and in his hand was a turquoise envelope now on the front of the turquoise envelope the name Paul was written and Alistair just seemed a bit kind of shocked, kind of flustered. He said he didn't know the man at the door and asked Veronica if he'd attempted to deliver the envelope to her, said what he's here for. But as she said, she's like, he literally said your name. Like, nothing else. Mm-hmm. So Alistair said he's going to pop outside to make sure this man's left, even though Veronica was like, look, just leave it. Like, he's obviously got the wrong address. Like, if you don't know him, like, maybe it's just a complete mistake or, you know, just she's like just chill do you know what I mean but he's like no no no. I want to go out so he goes out and within seconds Veronica hears three loud bangs she initially believes it to be pallets stored on the street that had fallen over so she goes down the stairs and outside sees Alistair who has been shot at close range lying in a pool of his own blood the assassin had fired three bullets into Alistair close range two into his head and one to his centre shockingly Alistair's actually still alive. No and the way. man who'd done it was just slowly walking towards the main road. Obviously, at this point, Veronica's husband is lying there dying, but she can also see the person that's done it. But understandably, she stays with Alistair. She calls 999 and actually, while on the phone, goes across the road to the pub 
like the local pub hotel but she goes in scans the room and doesn't recognize anybody so she leaves so i think at that moment she was just looking for like a familiar face Mm-hmm. So she leaves. She goes back to Alistair, sees that his condition's actually deteriorated. So she goes in again and basically begs anybody to help her. There was a woman in the pub named Tina who was a local nurse and she came out and done CPR on Alistair, trying to get him to keep breathing. But unfortunately, he actually died at the scene. He didn't even make it into the ambulance kind of thing, which I'm surprised he was even able to have CPR. He was shot twice in the head. Yeah, like, and then the chest. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so obviously, as you can imagine, the whole community is shocked by this. This is their small, little, lovely town. Things like that don't happen here. Mm-hmm. And the police begin patrolling, interviewing, knocking on doors, as you can imagine. Now, a positive at the start was the town had new CCTV built in the area. A few weeks ago, they had this massive thing to get more CCTV in the area, which was obviously really positive. However, in that specific street, the CCTV was down that night. Oh, so there was no CCTV was. to work with. Mm-hmm. There was also no sign of that turquoise envelope. Veronica was sure he took it down the stairs and they searched, obviously, her house and everything, but they could not find the envelope. From the beginning, annoyingly, the crime scene was very badly managed. And a lot of people say this is due to the fact it was unexperienced first responders who I don't really blame them. They've only dealt with, like, petty crime. Do you know, as we're saying, there was that murder at a wedding. That's it. They don't... You don't hear of anybody in Edinburgh or Glasgow really getting shot at their doorstep much. But, do you know, convenient with that trial going on, but, like... Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, actually, you do. But that was, like, a what? look how big that was. Mm-hmm. Whereas in there, you don't expect anything like that to happen. Especially to, like, a well... Like, well like respected gentlemen do you know what I mean mm-hmm. yeah so that's why they said this was maybe not the best as you know a few years later the owner of the hotel actually said that he was able to like cross the police cordon and actually touched Alistair's body so that's like huge contamination what? do you know what I mean yeah so there was really no evidence preserved at that time and as you can imagine the case begins to start going hold there's no motive there's no evidence there's no suspects there's no weapon there's absolutely nothing. Ten days later, Andy McMahon, who's a local tradesman working for a company down the road, was unblocking a drain down, basically down that same street from the Wilsons. And when he was finishing up for the day, he can see this kind of item in the drain. And he has a wee rummage and actually finds a gun in the drain. Ooh. He thought it was fake, but after actually digging it out, he was like, okay, this is heavy enough. So someone he was working with called the police and he took it to be tested. And forensic analysis confirmed that it was actually the weapon that was used to kill Alistair. And it had just been dumped in a drain down the road. So obviously, a, a, a lot of people are like, well, how did the police not find that? Well, it was down a drain. Like, But it was down a drain down the road. Mm-hmm. Like, you'd like to think that at least, you know, you'd, I just was kind of like, yeah, why that should have been checked, you know? Mm-hmm. So the main two critical pieces of evidence that the police are working with at this time are the envelope and the gun. Um, Veronica described the envelope to be like a birthday card style, but basically said from what she could tell, there was nothing inside. And she had saw the name Paul, but Alistair had said that he didn't know. And actually, Alistair had asked the guy, like, are you, like, no, sorry, Veronica had asked if the guy was definitely at the right address. 
because he generally didn't know and had the same vote for a poll. Veronica was interviewed a lot about this and they believed the fact that she believed Alistair didn't know. Mm-hmm. Like she was like, I know my husband and he really doesn't know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so then I read into a bit more about actually doorstep murders. I know we just spoke about that, obviously, the massive trial that everyone knows about that's going on in Edinburgh. But like they're not really a common thing. Do you know? Like that's the thing. There's actually not loads of them. There was obviously that Jill Dandel case years ago as well. Um, there's obviously the one that's going on at the moment. But it's basically looking into it, the envelope might actually have been nothing but a distraction. So the person is focusing on something else. So they're then able to assassin, like assassinate them. Mm-hmm. So that could just be the most basic of envelope ever, and it's just used to be a distraction. Or if this is a hitman killing, the instructions were written on this envelope, and that's why oh, they've right. got it. Uh huh. Do you know? So could have been anything written on that. So the name Paul as well. Like, did Alistair know who this was? Was it like an acronym? Do you know, short term project name? Nobody knows. So I'll put the envelope aside for now because honestly there wasn't much more found out about it. So the weapon itself was found on Seabank Road and it's a Henel Schmeisser, I think it's called, and it's a 6.35mm gun. It was made in Germany between the, 20, the 1920s and 30s and fired 0.25 ammunition. So this actually isn't a guaranteed killer bullet unless at close range. So this person knew they had to be up close to him. Mm-hmm. It's case and was also on the ground, but this weapon was initially never used for murder. Like it's not a weapon you would normally get for murder. But the main question is like, why was this wartime gun in Scotland? Yeah, I was gonna say one German and then two twenties to thirties. Why yeah. not just get a pistol or something? You know. Yeah, yeah. So like, well, the main thing is the fact is the gun should have been in Scotland due to the fact that. Also, well, after the handgun legislation, obviously, because of the Dumbley massacre in 1996, it actually mm-hmm. isn't easy to get guns in Scotland. Do you know, this isn't like America where you can kind of go in a shop and get a gun. So it could also be that because it was such a small place, they just kind of took what they were given. So if someone's been like, oh, we need to get a gun, they're like, oh, I've got this absolute random one. And it's maybe like, okay, it's a gun. Do you know? Yeah, um, take what you get. But, yeah, so... Three of this type of gun have been found in Nairn since 2004. No way, really? And 13 found across the rest of the UK. So it must be somewhere they've came from or what they're for, but nobody actually knows. So the other, the uh, one, well, the ones in Nairn, the other was an identical model handed in after a house clearance of someone who was deceased in 2014. Okay. So could have been like a know? wartime veteran. Yeah, exactly. Someone that just like kept it around. The other was found abandoned. But like the main question is, yeah, how did they all get to Nairn? So so, yeah, it's quite bizarre. So people actually believe, so like some things I'm going to get onto now is like kind of just like a little bit of like the reasoning. There's loads of things I can go into and be like, why was it? But one of the main ones is people believed it was a contract killing. Okay. Like he wasn't a criminal lifestyle person. Like he didn't come across as anyone that was involved in this kind of thing. But obviously, you never know what goes on behind kind of closed doors. But what a lot of people don't understand is why he didn't kill him the first time. Like, why 
sorry. Yeah, why give them the why give them the envelope? Yeah, Tell, like why do that whole thing with then... the envelope? Like, do you know that doesn't make sense? Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing. Like, it, like you would if you were there to shoot somebody, you hear about it when they literally open the door, goes out your name, poof, done. Mm-hmm. We have because... to have this conversation with him, and actually, Alistair went back looking for him. Yeah, so it's like that guy was like relying on Alistair being like. Oh no, I'm going to have to go look for him. You know? Mm-hmm. It's weird. Absolutely. That's the thing. It doesn't really make much sense. And, like, especially, like, like, do you know what I mean? Like, the wife to answer the door, like, that could actually scare a lot of people off. Like, that's the next point I'm going to go on. Like, the location and timing. Three children inside. Veronica's dad, Veronica. Street isn't quiet because it's pub across the road. Like, contract killing does not make sense. Because do you know what I mean? If you're going there to kill somebody, done. If you open the door and it's someone you're not expecting, you're going to be like, oh my God. And they saw, she saw his face. Mm-hmm. Like she was able yeah. to describe this man. And you know, contract killers don't use unpopular guns. They don't normally speak to anyone else. So that's thing. She's heard his voice. She's seen what he looked like. <sighs> anyway, so this suspect, nobody has really, like, ever seen him or anything a local man from a bus called in to say he saw a man on his bus matching the description he seemed quite agitated he gave a good description there was no CCTV on the bus obviously but the police completely ruled this guy out so it's not even him so initially two people were suspected first was Andy Burnett who's was the original suspect who I don't know if you remember me saying his name earlier he owned the pub okay. now Andy constructed some decking in the pub car park but didn't seek planning permission prior doing this and Alistair Wilson wrote to the council to block the application and sought for it to be removed oh he was that guy in the street he was that guy in the street (laughs) and I was like oh come on especially right now you know that Mm -hmm. outdoor decking was needed exactly (laughs) but alas Andy Burnett was never charged now the public began to suspect someone else can you guess who no, his wife? Correct. Oh. So women are likely to kill their spouses. It's most known that women don't kill random people. It's normally somebody they know, especially their spouse. So they don't know, like, there's so many theories. But the main one is, like, nobody, lots of people in the street. There's a pub. There's a town. Everyone knows everyone. But nobody saw the gunman apart from her. Okay. Like, right. there was never any sightings of him. It was a street outside a pub. And nobody saw him. Nobody saw this happen. Mm-hmm. Did she hire a hitman? Wasn't a fear gone wrong? There were so many things about Veronica that people were like, mm, that doesn't sound right. But in her defence, the police said they investigated her and actually had nothing gave them cause for alarm. Like, they checked in. She wouldn't actually inherit much as he didn't have much in his life insurance. And He's a banker. Come on. He should I know, be but I don't think they had much life insurance. Or, like, she owned half the house anyway. Like... Oh. And it was that kind of thing where, like, she actually, you know, she helped out in the investigation as much as she can to the stage where she actually went under hypnotherapy to try and remember more of what happened that night. Wow. Like, that is pretty good. Yeah. So the case had basically eventually started going cold. And in the 10-year anniversary, so that would be 2014, it was opened again and a review was done, but nothing was really found. Um, Police are actually still, to this day, assigned to the case and say they still cannot fathom a motive. Since then, there has been nearly 1,400 people spoken to. 
Oh, wow. Three and a half thousand statements taken and door-to-door inquiries at more than a thousand addresses. So they are doing a fair kind of bit, but, you know, it's still basically, unfortunately, lying cold. Now, I have a couple of theories and things I'd like to discuss with you, and this is when we go down kind of conspiracy theory holes, right? Yeah, get so the first one I'm going to get on. into, yeah, get get comfy because this is where I'm just going to go off on one. So the first connection they think is a loyalist connection. So John Beatty, who is an ex rugby player, apparently I don't really know who he is, hosts a Colin radio that, show. Yeah, I've heard of John Beatty. Yeah, of course you have. Um, hosts so. a Colin radio show. A producer took a call from someone leaving their number, saying they knew what happened to Alistair Wilson. So John Beatty calls this man who they named Peter, that that's obviously not his name, and John actually never found out his real name. And he called him off air, who gave the names, motives and numbers for police who knew the exact circumstances. They said it was second-hand information from a friend who was frightened for his life and said that he was executed due to his connection to one or two Scottish businessmen who had connections with Northern Irish paramilitaries on the loyalist side the okay. highland businessman told another man during an altercation that if he ever walked away from this deal he would do to them what he did to alistair wilson oh. now nothing was ever kind of really done about this john believes it was a gangland execution and the guy was right and the panic and fear that he heard in peter's voice when he was telling him he did actually believe him they built up quite a good rapport, to be honest, and John and Peter spoke quite often. And eventually, John introduced Peter to an investigative journalist named Fiona. And she used Peter's findings in the doorstep murder documentary on BBC. I've only read about this, actually. I'm not too sure what it is. So I'll need to have a look into it. Um, they also said that the police, this information was given to the police years ago anonymously, and they chose to do nothing about it. Now, another theory comes from Peter Blexley, who's an undercover MET police investigation officer. Um, well, the Met. I don't know why I said MET, sorry. <laughs> He'd done his own investigation and said, due to Alistair's job, you have to follow the money. His job was to source small businesses in the area and get them to bank with his bank and form a good, stable working relationships. So I never actually said what he did. I didn't actually know, but that's basically what he did for the bank. Okay. Now, he had a lot of freedom basically in this job which could get him in trouble as he began to like he had lending patterns so he could lend lend a little he could lend people one hundred thousand pound without anyone overseeing that so they believe there was (laughs) maybe some off the book banking such as money laundering etc in 2009 in a near and pub toilet peter said he was instructed by a local like a local walked in and told him not to turn around and the local said it was an in-house job and basically said, don't turn around and left. So the, imagine oh. being at a urinal, just standing, and someone comes in and goes, do not turn around. It was an in-house job. Do not turn around and leaves. Do you get what I mean? I'd, I'd shit myself. Yeah, I would honestly be like, <laughs> I'd, I'd, and I've turned around. So I would turn around. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and he actually believes that that was a police investigation team member. Okay. that told him that now yeah so Alistair's life Alistair's house was large costs were high his salary's good but not good enough 
that it would keep the house upkeep. Like he was known to live a lavish lifestyle. He had loads of expensive clothes. Like he lived like a boy, basically. Exactly, yeah. On a beer budget. He actually recently just spoke to a friend about getting his house valuated. Um and Alistair hasn't claimed work expenses for the last three months and they were large. They were large. And one of my favourite theories is Livingston FC um, basically went into administration in 2004 as they ran out of assets, but someone bought the owners out in May 2004 and the former owners weren't happy and apparently this had something to do with Alistair and they went to scare him, but it went wrong. <laughs> so I quite like that, theory. I hope it is Livingston FC. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as you can imagine, it's been 17 years and it's still completely quiet. There's loads of questions. Like this case is probably one of the most where there's just questions. Like, was it a getaway driver? That would make more sense. How the gun was dropped on the left side of the road because that's where the drain was. It lowers the risk of walking away. So at least potentially three people know about this: the driver, the organizer, and the killer. Mm-hmm. There's so many theories that I've gone to, but. The kind of one I want to finish on is the last kind of motive, which is there was no motive. It was a complete accident and mistaken identity. Veronica completely believes that it was a mistake. And although he might, although the man asked for Alistair, it could have been another Alistair Wilson. There was another Alistair Wilson who lived in Nairn at this time. He was not a person of interest in investigation and died of alcoholism. So nobody ever got his side of the story and nobody ever kind of looked into him at all. So this case could just be so many things. It could be a personal grudge. It could be a gang crime. It could be due to money or it could just be like a complete mistake. And I honestly think now that we'll never really know what it was. Yeah, I I think after 17 years and... No one knowing. But then with you mentioning that there's another Alistair, like, because Wilsons are so popular. Yeah. And another Alistair Wilson in Nairn, who was an alcoholic. Like, mental. That's just crazy. So, yeah, like, it's, I I can't believe it's gone so quiet. And, like, well, before telling people we're going to do this, they were like, oh, that's the guy that this happened, that happened. And I didn't realise there was so much stuff in the background. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought it was more of like a, so my, from my knowledge, it was, you know, a hit and run, like a doorstep murder. Yeah, or he I expected him to be this, like, he gang corrupt. Yeah, he was corrupt. I was expecting it to be something. like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, sorry, yeah, yeah. I was expecting it to be like, he was a really bad guy. Yeah. But that's the thing, he was known as, like, a normal family man. Mm-hmm. That was mental. I wasn't, I wasn't even, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, so... Uh, I'd be interested to hear from anybody if anyone knows. Like, I don't know if we've got much listeners in the Highlands, if anyone knows more about it. Like, normally when we do this, it's like, oh, my cousin's mum's dog knew them. And you're yeah. like, oh, right, cool. Uh-huh. So it'd be interesting to see, because, like, I can't imagine, like, literally, like, especially for just kids in the house and everything, like, what a way to lose your dad, especially if, sounds horrible if you're like, oh, your dad was shot, but this is kind of why. But to, like, 17 years on to have no answer why not even one suspect 